Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the Coast to Coast Combat Hour. I'm your host, Matthew Hawkins, and as always, I'm joined by my co-host, Ed Carbajal. And on a weekly basis, we plan to bring you the biggest news and interviews in the world of combat sports. Ed, you got a little smile on your face over there. What's going on, man? I just realized that. So when I started the Hangout, I just got a message that Hangouts on Air is going away this year. YouTube, that's how they let us know, huh? Uh, well, All right. We'll have to adjust them to, to uh, Skype with some of our other guests. Yeah. Uh, speaking of guests, uh, this week we're uh, happy to be joined by friend of the show, uh, MMA medical man, uh, John Lucas, <laughs> who worked the uh, the UFC Greenville card uh, this past weekend. Uh, John, how you doing? Great, thanks. So, Glad- so, so uh, John, uh, what is your technical term for when you get called on? Oh, no. I, I know they didn't license you as medical man. Yeah, so, I mean, ringside position or event. That's right, that's right, that yeah. The, the, uh, technically, it was the <laughs> position for the event was my exact title. The uh, So you, you've you worked several shows, uh, smaller events, King of the Cage, boxing events I see you post about. Um, this was the first time the UFC had ever come to South Carolina uh, tell us a little bit about the experience and uh, maybe some of the uh, advantages to the UFC as opposed to the smaller shows, or if there was anything that was negative about it. Uh, how how was the experience in general? Yeah, so, I mean, in short, the experience was outstanding. I had really high expectations of the UFC from a medical standpoint, since they're the premier MMA organization, or really, I think, the premier fight sport organization in the in the world, certainly in the country. And um, they've, you know, got a lot of money at stake and a lot of world-class athletes. And even though I had really high expectations, I was just blown away by the job that the UFC medical crew does with taking care of the fighters before the fight, during the fight, after the fight, and, you know, catering to, um, really catering to the fighters just in general. There's been a couple of interviews with guys who were new to the UFC since then. So, like... um, Darren uh, Wynn, for instance, was talking to Ariel Helwani about how surprised he was at all the different things the UFC did to help him out. You know, if you need something for your weight cut, they put you in touch with who you need, give you a ride here, give you a ride there, call this person, do this thing. They really do an outstanding job. So um, from your uh, – I, I know you've this is, not the, the, this is not the first event you've officiated for, but from uh, the Greenville event, I mean, what stood out to you? I, I know uh, – Matt was sending me some screenshots of you doing your work, but um, like how busy of a night is it for you? Is it, is it like high pace, high stress? Yeah. In this event, you know, I, I've lost track of how many MMA events that I've worked, but it's, it's gotta be close to, if not over a hundred by now. And this was by far the busiest I was ever at at any one of the events. And normally when I'm working an event, I'm the only physician there where this event I had, four other physicians and a nurse who were helping me out. So I wasn't doing like the actual post-fight physicals and stuff like that. I didn't do any of the suturing, but I was still running around like a chicken with my head cut off for quite a bit of the night because of how many injuries and, and decisions had to be made throughout the uh, event. When, when uh, we saw you on TV and the, actually in the cage, and is that a, a position that they, do they tell you, you know, you're supposed to go stand in there. Is it something you kind of took upon yourself to kind of be in the right place at the right time? And I mean, I don't know exactly what, are you just there to make sure that the fighter doesn't run out of the cage without, without seeing you? Well, the going into the cage is something that I started doing a number of years ago at the smaller events for a couple of reasons. One, um, at the smaller events, if the fighter leaves the cage or a boxing event leaves the ring without seeing me, I may never mm-hmm. see them again. That's one of the biggest problems I have at smaller events is literally losing track of a fighter. I've got somebody want to check back into later. They go back to the dressing room and, you know, either at an intermission or when the event's over, I go back looking for them and they're just gone. So I started going into the, the, uh, either the ring or the cage between every single round and then going into the cage after the, uh, the actual fight was over a number of years ago. And I, I talked to the UFC folks to make sure they were okay with me doing that. And they had no problem with that at all. So they didn't ask me to position myself anywhere in particular. 
I generally try to get behind the camera so that I'm not on camera, but I wasn't 100% obviously successful in that. And a, a couple of times when Bisbig started doing his interview, the fighter would be facing in one direction and then they would move to his other side. So the cameraman would walk around the cage and it's just not worth my time to try to sprint, you know, to keep ahead of them. So once in a while I wound up being on camera standing right by the, the door there, but I'm just trying to stand out of the way and is and be inconspicuous as possible, but be able to keep eyeballs on either which the fighter that I think was hurt or to make sure that the physician who's actually going to grab the fighter and walk him back to the medical tent afterwards is going to be able to get with them and, and get the post-fight physical done. So you had a, um, you have a close connection. I know we've talked about it before when you're on the podcast with uh, wonder boy uh, and his, and you know, the school out there. Um, I had read the, uh, I, I wrote a piece about it because I had read how uh, he, uh, Stephen Thompson and his dad uh, Ray Thompson had uh, had a hand in getting the event out to Greenville. So from from what you saw, obviously you're speaking highly of it. Um, is what's the likelihood of them coming out there again? Um, I mean, I would like to think the likelihood is high. I was pretty concerned about that leading up to the event because this event seemed to get a lot less press and a lot less promotion from the UFC than a mm-hmm. lot of the other fight nights that they've done in smaller markets. And there was very few, I mean, really, there was no true local fighters on the card where there were some people in the immediate Greenville, Spartanburg, Anderson area that are probably very close to UFC caliber um, or UFC caliber just haven't made the jump yet. But the the best example of that probably being Carl Reed, who trains with us, who's going to be on the Contender Series in the Mm -hmm. very near future. I I was really surprised that they didn't scrap his Contender contract and give him an undercard fight that would have gone a long way towards filling some more seats. But um, once the event got started, um, you know, there was a decent crowd. There was a little over 7,000 people there. There was good energy in the arena. And then watching it on TV, it it looked like that the, uh, the energy from the crowd transmitted pretty well on the broadcast. And the UFC folks seemed very happy with the way the medical team worked and very happy with the way the uh, interactions with the commission went. So hopefully we'll see them back in the state for a, another show sometime in the future yeah because i i know that uh, uh originally the intention was to have wonder boy uh, on that card because of how close it is to to where you guys all live um obviously with the loss to pettis he couldn't do that but um so i was just curious um the other thing uh, you just mentioned something that maybe matt uh, i'd like to get matt's opinion on this just because we he and i talk about it in private a lot but but do you think that the the marketing for these fight nights is uh not as good as it used to be for previous fight nights because of the way it is on, on the ESPN plus or just because of where it is. I don't really have a good handle on that. I mean, I I do definitely feel like the marketing is not quite as, as robust as it was before. I don't Uh, know if they've had a shift in the way they market these. Yeah. I just saw some Facebook ads and I think there was a couple of billboards right outside the arena about it, but it seemed like it wasn't that long ago that when there was a UFC fight, you couldn't look anywhere without seeing it, hearing it, and and having it blasted. So I'm not I'm not exactly sure why there's been a change. Yeah, I mean I don't know. Obviously, it's less than it used to be. I just uh, I think it's kind of a case by case basis. Uh, mm. I, I feel like this event probably was was not cursed, but when when Stephen couldn't compete on it. I think the UFC kind of realized the idea of maybe selling 11, 12,000 tickets was kind of out the door. Um, you're going to sell your six to 8,000 just based off of it being a UFC event. So maybe you just kind of, uh, you know, take your ball and go home and just kind of know what you're going to get. Whereas if Steven was on the card, I imagine he would have been doing a lot of local promotion yeah. stuff probably would have been on the, you know, your morning news channels, kind of stuff like that probably would have been a little bit more, uh, Vote, uh, you know, visible. Uh, but with that said, uh, it, it, like in the Tennessee fight where, where Stephen fought uh, uh, Anthony Pettis, there was a few billboards, but not a lot of yeah. stuff around town. Um, I don't know. The ticket sales have been weird. Uh, John and I were actually talking about this about the week prior, uh, looking at the tickets, and it looked like there was a bunch still open for Greenville, but it was mainly the cheaper seats. And when it's the cheaper seats, you usually get a pretty good walk up uh, because the you know, the teenage kid or the, the person that doesn't have a lot of money can show up to the gate with $50 and, and, and figure out how to get in the door. Uh, whereas like the UFC event next weekend, there's still quite a few, there's a couple thousand tickets still available. And that's for the John, I mean, that's a 
considered a lot of people consider it the card of the year yeah. up until this point. Well. Uh, but I think that's Vegas. I think people are just kind of, uh, I think it's burnt out. Maybe you've burnt out the local crowd in Vegas a little bit. Uh, it's not the same as it was years ago. Yeah. They've got, you know, everybody in Vegas who's a fight fan has been to probably several fights. Uh, but then you look at the August event, uh, UFC 241, that really hasn't even gotten any kind of media or any kind of backing yet. I'm not seeing commercials on TV for it or anything. I just looked before we came on the air here, and there's literally probably 22 seats left for the entire event in a in a 20,000 seat arena the honda center mm. and the seats that are available i think the cheapest seat that i saw was like 900 dollars. it's all the platinum seats around the cage that usually don't sell um up until right to the event when some or, or they end up giving them away so it, it's just kind of a weird dynamic I, I know diaz is scheduled for that card uh obviously dc and, and miosic is, is still a big heavyweight fight but uh, I was surprised to see that. I haven't seen a UFC event sell like that in a long time. So I don't know. Uh, I think they just kind of maybe know their markets. They know what they're going to sell no matter how much money they put into promotion. And, and they're kind of just go by that. Uh, maybe if they thought they were in a, in a bigger market. I, I've never been to South Carolina, John, so I don't know exactly. You know, If they were going to have a big pay-per-view event, would it be at that arena? Or would there be another city or, or somewhere else that they would most likely go to? I mean, there's definitely bigger arenas around. They could go to USC and Columbia and use their basketball arena or something like that. But um, the um, I think that Greenville, you know, and I'm obviously biased because I live here, but I think Greenville is sort of the ideal destination for the UFC in South Carolina because it's positioned almost exactly halfway between Charlotte and Atlanta. Mm. Very easy to get to by air, by from almost everywhere else in the country. And if they had a, a little bit, uh, I think, either more local fighters or a couple of bigger names on the card, they would have had no problem selling the entire arena out. Yeah, because they only had like 7,095 or something like that uh, attendance. So yeah. I, how, how many people does that arena seat? Uh, I think it seats somewhere around twice that. And I, I say that because they didn't use the upper bowl at all except for two rows of seats sort of from blue line to blue line. You know, that, that arena is a hockey barn, so it's fairly steep, and there's two levels. There's the floor, you know, the, the first level of bleachers or first level of stands and then a, a, another level on top of that. And they had the, enti- the upper level was basically entirely blacked out. Well, I mean, yeah, I imagine you get, a, you get some bigger names, like you said, some local fighters. Uh, but you know, the crowd, when I saw it, what was it like 7,700 or something like that? That's not really, that's not too bad. I mean, that's very comparable to your average Bellator show. Um, maybe like the Fitch McDonald fight, uh, in April. I, I mean, that's, they, they cut off half of their arena cause they have their stage and stuff. So they're not, it doesn't look maybe as empty uh, as that, but you know, if you told me there was an event in South Carolina that had around 8,000 people, I, I would think that that's a fairly solid crowd. I feel like the older events in Cincinnati and stuff kind of used to have that same number. That was kind of the original fight night before they started getting them a little bit deeper with the cards. Yeah. And, and I haven't, I don't know how the UFC felt about how the fight sold, but especially with the late push they had with all the tickets that sold, you know, I, I sent you the screenshot from Ticketmaster five or six days out and mm. I looked again on Friday and probably 75 or 80% of the seats that were available earlier in the week had been sold. There really weren't that many seats in the tickets that they made available that didn't wind up selling. So I think they're probably pretty happy with the attendance they got. Well, that's yeah. good to hear. Yeah. We need some more East East coast events. With uh, now, obviously you're there to do a job, but I mean, I think it's fair to say you, you do the MMA Oh, I, sh- I shouldn't speak for you, but you you do it as a job. You know, you, a lot of times I know you do it kind of as not charity, but you don't necessarily take payments for the smaller shows. You, you've told me in the past you kind of do it to just to make sure that there's a good good eye on the fighters uh, in, in case they need help uh, medically. But um, being a fan, uh, knowing that you are, I mean, we're, we're going to meet up next weekend in, in Vegas for the, the big fight. What uh, when you're working that event, are you able to enjoy the fights? I mean, obviously there was some exciting fights or, you know, I found it when covering an event, sometimes it can, it, you, you feel like you're doing a job. So it kind of takes away from the, the enjoyment. Did, did you find that uh, to be the case or were you able to actually enjoy the fights at all? I mean, 
I, I enjoy doing the ringside medicine, but it's very different than like next weekend when you and I are in Vegas just watching mm-hmm. the fights. I watch <clears throat> the fights very differently when I'm there working versus when I'm just watching as a fan. And, and the reason why I enjoy it is different. So, I mean, I, I definitely enjoyed the fights, but when I came back home and then watched the replays on ESPN Plus, it was very, very different than the experience of sitting there. Because when you're sitting there and you're responsible for making decisions about, is this fight going to continue? Are they hurt? What am I going to look for between rounds and whatnot? I end up concentrating almost entirely on whoever is losing the fighter, whoever's taking the most damage. And by concentrating so much on that one fighter, it's very difficult to, to appreciate the beauty of what the other person's doing, particularly standing because I don't usually actually see the strike until it's making contact with the fighter who I was worried about in the first place. So there's a lot of things like um, in the, um, the uh, Luis Pena fight when, when violent Bob Ross threw that fake uppercut into flying knee, I just saw that as a flying knee because I was staring at Matt the whole time trying to decide whether that cut was going to be something that was going to be an issue or not. And it wasn't until I saw the replay that I saw how he set that up. I mean, that was just amazing. So I guess the answer to your question is, yeah, I enjoyed it, but for a very different reason than uh, when I'm there as just a fan. Was that the most significant uh, work you had to do as far as, like, concerns with uh, cuts and injuries from – I see there was one, two, three, four finishes on that card. Um, Was that the the one that was most concerning? Yeah, I mean, that cut was definitely the one that was most concerning. I mean, I don't know if you you watch the broadcast, you could hear that when I went into the, the cage during the first round to look at Matt's cut, uh, Dan was already talking to the uh, commission about the fact that it was a legal strike and was in the process of, you know, letting them know that because he thought I was going to stop the fight. And he actually even said on air, he's good. You know, like a question, he was clearly <laughs> surprised that I let that continue, but you know, I kind of have a criteria in my head of what, what a cut can look like, where it can be, how deep it can be, how big it can be and let the fight continue and, and not. And that, that cut was, you know, definitely the most significant cut I've ever dealt with that I've allowed a fight to continue. Um, but it, there were a couple of other, um, couple of other uh, times during the, the event where I thought I was going to have to step in and do something, but fortunately didn't. So, yeah, I guess in, in retrospect, that was definitely the, the hardest medical decision of that, of that event. Were there any fights, uh, that I mean, as a fan, I guess that you got, that that surprised you in the night. I mean, were there what what fights stood out to you? So um, I have to admit, I I kind of thought that the Korean Zombie was going to win his fight, but mm. I wasn't expecting him to do it in the fashion that he did. I think that surprised everybody, and I was also very surprised to see Bam Bam Barbarina's fight go the way that it did. I was, you know, partially because I've seen I've worked a couple of fights he's fought in before. I kind of thought that Bam Bam was going to be able to to handle that and unfortunately the fight just didn't go his way yeah chan sung jung the korean zombie uh dropped moikano about 25 seconds into the fight uh with a big right hand punch and then and then finished with some ground and pound uh about a minute into the first round and and as he speaks the co-main event brand barbarina suffered a a loss due to knees and, and punches uh in the middle of the, the final round of that fight uh, yeah, I mean, those were two good fights. I, uh, I thought Andrea Lee, uh, I've, I've mentioned uh, several times I'm a big fan of her. I thought she looked really good. Uh, and she, she did a number on, uh, on Monta- Montana de la Rosa, uh, bloodied her up a little bit too. Were there, uh, I mean, I don't know how much you can say if there's certain secrets or not secrets, but stuff they don't say, uh, how many of the guys, how many of the fighters ended up in the hospital? Were there any scares other than the i mean the the visual stuff that you had to deal with mainly in the wyman fight uh just some people who got you know hit a lot and either had a, a big cut that we wanted to make sure there wasn't anything more significant going on under it or it took a lot of punches and had some neurologic signs after we wanted to make sure we're just them being tired and not something more significant so we sent a couple people to the hospital for further follow-up but nobody got you know any sort of significant injury that's going to be a long-term problem for him. During the, uh, I don't know if it was during the weigh-ins, it was prior to the event, uh, John Lineker was pulled, and I believe they said it was for a cut over his eye. Was he, in, was he in, did you get to see that? Or was that determined by somebody else before it got to you? 
that was determined by his team. His team made that decision without any input from the medical service. I actually talked that the, the first inkling of how good the UFC's medical team was. I was uh, sitting at home on Thursday night and got a phone call from the UFC medical director to let me know that that had happened in that, you know, he had had a couple of his people um, look at it. They sent some pictures back and forth and they had the plan was they had sent him to get the cut addressed. And then I was going to look at him before physicals the next morning to make sure I was comfortable with him continuing the fight. But um, sometime between that conversation and the next morning, his team decided that he did, he wasn't going to continue on. So I never actually saw him at all. When you, uh, when fighters get sent to the hospital as the ringside physician, is that your call to make officially or, or is it a consensus of a medical staff there? I mean, since the, the UFC uh, physician, uh, the medical director wasn't able to be at this event. So it was entirely my call. Um, I'm sure if there was someone that they thought should go to the hospital based on what they were seeing on TV or hearing, I'm sure that the medical staff there would have sent them, even if I didn't think it was necessary, but there was not any sort of disagreement like that. So yeah, it was, it was myself and the, and the other physicians when we had somebody who we thought needed to go, we sent them and then um, went and followed up with them to make sure everything was all right. When you go into the cage, uh, that's one thing I want to ask too, uh, there was usually another gentleman who seemed to be in there standing next to you. Is he a commission member or is that a second doctor? No. So there, so the way the UFC does the medical stuff at their events, and if, if you watch uh, events on TV, you'll see this occasionally. They usually have five physicians there, sometimes six if uh, Jeff Davidson, who's the medical director of the UFC, is there. But um, they'll have two physicians in the red corner, two physicians in the blue corner, and then somebody in the back who's going to do all the suturing and whatnot. So we had two people sitting in the red corner, two people sitting in the blue corner, and then I was sitting right at the cage door next to a couple of the commissioners. Since I have uh, quite a bit of experience at MMA events, I wanted to be the person who was going to make any final decisions about, yeah, we're stopping this. No, we're not. So every time they called a physician in, whichever one of the two, I had the, the people in each corner had an odd number team and an even number team. So if it was you know fight number one, three, five, seven, the odd number team would be the ones who were going in and then vice versa, the even number team would do it. So when I went in, whoever was assigned to the corner that we were evaluating would come in too. So the guy you're talking about most of the time, the guy that had black hair, is a little taller than me, put his glasses on once. He's another physician. He's an orthopedic surgeon. He's actually a former professional football player. And then I had, so I had an orthopedic surgeon, a trauma surgeon, a vascular surgeon, and a neurosurgeon is the other oh, wow. physicians who were there. So we had a uh, there and uh, two of the guys, the vascular surgeon and the neurosurgeon, uh, have both worked a number of events, sometimes with me and sometimes by themselves. And they actually own a fight gym up the street, and they run a company called the Fight Doctor. So they're very, very into fight sports and, and very experienced. Uh, Doctor Sifri, the orthopedic surgeon, worked the first couple of MMA events I ever worked <sighs> at the. They're ironically at the same place. It was called the Bilo Center back then back when Brett Moses used to do the fight party events. And then um, the trauma surgeon was there as the suture doc. Wow. So, so you, had, the, you what, had quite a team then. I mean, yeah. So is, is that when you do your other events, you said you've done approximately a hundred, give or take. What percentage of those are you by yourself? 99. <laughs> and it's, it's a totally different experience then. Cause you know, like here, you know, like, so take the, uh, the, uh, Matt Wyman, uh, violent Bob Ross fight, big cut, go in here. I know I've got a trauma surgeon in the back. Who's going to be able to suture, you know, the cut, as long as it's not medically dangerous, he's going to be able to do it the instant the fight's over. And if there's any more concerns, there's, there was four ambulances there with complete ACLS crews for transport. The level one trauma center, which was five minutes away, was on standby. They knew the event was going on. The UFC had already communicated with them and, they had a whole plan of how things were going to go if there was an issue. So, you know, have absolute world-class medical care at your fingertips where normally when I'm at an event, it's just me. So that means I go in, look at that cut. I'm going to have to fix it. But if I, if I fix it, it's going to be at the end of the event, because if I try to do it between fights, it's going to delay the event by, you know, an hour and a half, two hours while I do that. So it's a whole different ball of wax. Do you ever get anybody arguing with you when you have to stop a fight as far as like the, the not the fighter? Obviously, the fighter will, will argue, but like corners and cornermen and stuff. Anything? Yeah, I, I have. I've had it, 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 that actually happened pretty recently. And I was half joking with the commissioner uh, that I was sitting next to after I let the um, 
the Matt Winman fight go on, a couple of months ago, there was a pro boxing event that I was at, and they had a couple guys collided heads, and one of them got a cut that wasn't very big, but it was right on his eyelid. Oof. So it's a dangerous place, um, you know, and it was like probably three minutes or two minutes into the first round, so there was still some time left. Uh, and there's no cut man there that's going to fix it. It's just, you know, his corner between rounds. So I stopped that fight, and the, the, the boxer himself, more so his corner and even more so his uh, manager slash promoter um, were, I mean, really mad. They uh, were yelling and the uh, pr- I had a, had words with a corner at the time I made the decision. And then as soon as the fight was over, his manager came over and started telling me that I shouldn't have stopped that fight, don't need to. And, you know, told him, I, I try very hard not to be arrogant during these events, but I told him, I said, well, there's only one person in this building that's the physician that's making those decisions and it's me and if you don't agree with the decision the commissioner's sitting right there tell them they'll be more than happy to bring it up and i said and we can bring in every medical or every uh, ringside physician in the country and show them the tape of where the cut was and what it looked like and get a consensus on whether they would have stopped it or not said, you know it's just it's a bad spot it's, yeah it's a no-brainer that's a cut that's going to be stopped every single time yeah it said, seems well you know we stopped it we stopped it from bleeding with vaseline between rounds i'm like that's great but you can't do that in the middle of the round. And he still has a cut in his eyelid. If he gets hit there again, and yeah. his eyelid splits open. That could end his career. Yeah. It's, it seems like more times than not that uh, usually after, after the adrenaline, and everything comes down they're they're more grateful for what you do versus, you know, when they're arguing with you after, like I think about Leslie uh, Smith, I think it was when her, her ear was falling off. Yeah. Uh, she was fighting about like, like wanting to continue, but then obviously, Later, she when she finally saw what her ear looked like, she was like, "Oh yeah, I'm glad they stopped that." Yeah, and, and I had the the opposite concern after I walked out of the cage with uh, the Wyman fight. I sat down and I'm like, you know, I feel very comfortable that that fight is not likely to end up in any sort of permanent disfigurement for him. You know, he obviously wanted to continue, but I don't really take it. the fighter wanting to continue isn't a reason necessarily not to stop the fight but the converse is true if the fighter clearly looks like they're not interested in continuing then i'll tell them hey if you don't want to continue tell me and i'll stop it and the crowd can boo me and you can complain all you want on social media that you know oh the doctor shouldn't have stopped it but you know you can get out of this but Mm. it was very clear by what he said as he was coming over he didn't want that stop but when i sat back down i was a little concerned that when i talked with the uh, ufc afterwards and particularly since dan seemed so surprised that i didn't stop the fight that they were going to be irritated that I let that go on. But I had a long discussion with a number of people from the UFC and there's no negative blowback at all from that. I, I don't know Matt at all. So I don't have any way of asking him how he and his corner feel about that. But I get the sense that they were perfectly happy with him continuing. And I, and I really thought Dan did a great job stopping that. He's gotten some grief online about letting it go on too long. But as the person who was sitting there watching him, he was defending himself intelligently until about three seconds before Dan stopped it. He finally took a couple of shots and stopped going for De La Hiva and taking the back and defending. He was clearly done, and Dan stopped it almost immediately. I thought he did a perfect job with that fight. Is there any uh, – this might sound kind of like a stupid question, but is there any cuts that – is it basically all location? I mean, is there uh, – I mean, we've seen guys with their skull basically showing, but if it's in certain spots, they let it go. Is that, I mean, would you ever, I'm not saying you would change your opinion because you're doing a UFC event. Obviously, if it's an amateur event, you're looking out for the fighter perhaps a little more than, again, not putting words in your mouth, but that's how I'd imagine it would be. Is there any, I mean, if you a guy gets a hatchet wound, but it's not in a bad spot on on his face. Is that still a fight that gets stopped nowadays? Uh, they used to stop fights a lot more in the first 15 years of the sport. And it seems like obviously the, the medical world's educated a little bit as far as what the actual dangers are. Uh, is yeah. that, I mean, you so, understand what I'm kind of asking? Absolutely. And it's a great question. And um, I think that there's a couple of different things at play. So first off the cutmen they have in, in the UFC in particular, but cutmen in general, are worlds ahead of where they were five, 10 years ago, as far as getting cuts to stop bleeding and things like that between rounds. And that's one thing that, that um, the unsung hero of that fight is really Rob Monroe, who was a cutman for the red corner on that fight, because I, I spoke with a cutman before the event started. And I told him, I said, when, when you get, when the uh, bell rings at the end of a round, 
I'm going to be the last guy in the ring and the first guy out. So you guys get the entire minute to work a cut. I'm not going to push you out of the way and try to look at a cut and make a decision. You do your thing until you hear the 10 second clap. And then when you leave, that's when I'll make my decision. And Rob got that thing dry as a bone between rounds one and two. And again, between rounds two and three, just did a fantastic job. So having really competent cut men like that makes a big difference. And then the other thing is because there's so many more physicians involved in fight sports over the last five to 10 years, there's actually some pretty good data and some, uh, some good opinions and lectures and references about what cuts are dangerous and what cuts aren't. So location matters, whether the cut's obstructing their vision, either by their uh, tissue kind of falling down over their eye or the, the cut bleeding into their eye makes a big difference. And then size does make a difference. I mean, a cut can only be so big and um, I would be willing to let it continue. So, I mean, if the cut that Matt had had been even like a centimeter bigger, especially medially, so it crossed sort of the middle of his orbit, I would have stopped it for sure. But that cut was, it was up above his eyebrow. It wasn't into the ocular muscles, so he was still able to move his eyelid normally. And it wasn't quite gaping enough for the tissue of his eyebrow and eyelid to be flopping down into his eye. And it was bleeding to his eyebrow and then down the inside of his nose and then on the other side, outside of his eye. So when he was standing up, or when he was laying on the ground because of where how high it was, it wasn't bleeding directly into his eye. So it was just just small enough to not make me want to stop it, just not quite deep enough to make me want to stop it. It was in a fairly safe area, and it wasn't bleeding into his eye. So the, the danger area, if you think of the, the six-pack rings, you know, like you, the little plastic six rings you would get around a six-pack of beer, yeah. you take one of those and hold the top rings uh, right on the the sort of the medial just inside of your eye by your nose that's those those are kind of the six danger areas so the inside corner of your eye into the the medial half of your orbit there's a nerve that comes out there so a deep cut there is one to stop just lateral to the nose there's another nerve that comes out in your face so that's a place that a deep cut could be seriously defiguring and then the vermilion border right where your lip color starts uh on your lip is another place that if you get a cut, you generally want to stop because if that extends, it's going to go into the interior of your mouth and you start having problems with a a big cut like that that literally splits your lip open. So those are kind of the the high risk areas. Interesting. Like like the Robbie Lawler cut from UFC 189. Yeah. Well, that's interesting because I never really thought, I mean, as a fan, I didn't think about it necessarily as nerve damage, but I guess that that's what you, once you, once you get below yeah. the, the first couple layers and that's what you start dealing with. I mean, obviously, you know, you're, you're also a savage, Matt. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I'm going to ask one more question, getting back to the eyelid one, uh, just curiosity again. So one of the famous ones is UFC 46, where it was Couture and uh, Belfort and Belfort won the, the light heavyweight title with a cut on the eyelid. Uh, without getting too graphic, is that basically because a cut on the eyelid, when you said it could be split open, is that essentially mean like eyelid ripped off? Is yeah, that where we're well, going with that? Ripped, you know, ripped in the middle like curtains on a stage. So repairing that is extremely difficult oh, because imagine. You know, I I wouldn't I won't touch an eyelid laceration with a ten foot pole. I send them to the ER and let plastic surgery or ophthalmology or somebody deal with those because they're very difficult to repair and very easy to do something that would be potentially devastating for the fighter if you don't repair it perfectly. So those, those lacerations are a big deal. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, I just, as a, as a fan's perspective, again, when sometimes you see, you'll see a guy and he'll have a four inch cut and they'll let it go. And then uh, I've seen fans complain that, you know, well, it's just on the eyelid, but it's only a, you know, half an inch cut, but it's, it's right there. So that, that makes sense. And obviously if you can't shut your eye or damage your eyelid, that, that, severely your your uh forget your fight career your your livelihood could <laughs> could seem like it could take a hit so yeah. yeah that's interesting um were you able to catch up on any of the other fights over the weekend the bare knuckle boxing or the the bellator event at all i've seen and heard a little bit about the events but i haven't actually wa- you know sat down and watched the entire thing so just a couple of clips here and there and some chatter but i was so busy the night of the event and then following up i was up until about two o'clock in the morning with a fighter yeah. in the er with the uoc folks and then somebody else who had been di- who had been discharged was having some issues a little later on in the morning like around five o'clock in the morning i, I got called by one of the fighter reps again to 
to make sure that they were that I was okay with that fighter going back to the ER to get checked. So, and then as luck would have it, one of my best friends ended up getting food poisoning along with his wife after going oh, to wow. the event. So right after I got done dealing with that, he called me telling me he wasn't feeling really good and he's not one to complain. So I ended up going to his house and ended up taking him to urgent care and subsequently the ER. So I was I was pretty busy uh, Sunday, so I haven't gotten a chance to catch up with the other stuff. Yeah, I mean, there was the the much talked about uh, Artem Lobov, Paulie Malinaji, bare knuckle boxing fight, bare knuckle fighting, whatever, whatever they kind of a bust, to... though. No, don't you think it was a bust of a fight? But I think that uh, we let ourselves get uh, caught up in the in the hype. Uh, I know I was. Uh, we all were. Yeah. I also, you know, I, I I think I call it bare knuckle boxing, but in a sense, it's not really bare knuckle boxing. It's its own sport, bare knuckle fighting. And I think we got to take that judging a little bit maybe into account. Yeah. Uh, I know that there was some, you know, arguments uh, on the MMA community.com forum about who they thought won. Uh, the officially, the judges basically gave it three rounds to two to Artem Lobov, uh, which was an upset with the, the Vegas betting. And, and David Feldman won the president of BKFC. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I had, I thought Malinaji won the fight judging it by a boxing count. But uh, I can also understand if they're going to call it bare knuckle fighting, why they would give it to Lobov. Yeah. He was more the aggressor, and uh, and I don't more the fighter, I guess you would say. Uh, whereas Malinaji did a lot of dancing around. He was defensive, like I, I said, I thought he would. Uh, he took some shots, got some nice cuts, uh, but I felt like he he landed more jabs uh, than than Lobov did damage. So, you know, it's just how you score it, whether you're scoring the visual damage as opposed to landing Actually, punches. Yeah, so, no, that uh, the fight, be, the co-main was Chris Lieben and Cochran, right? Or no? Yeah, that was more your classic fight so, brawl for sure. So I got to ask John about this as, as, as a ringside physician just because – so, you know, obviously uh, Lieben has a history of like he – there's a point where he had heart issues and stuff and <laughs> suddenly he's licensed to fight again. Um, and, uh, I can't folks that I know that were there covering the event from various outlets kept messaging me that he wasn't looking so good. Um, I don't know if he had a bad cut or what, but knowing does, does knowing their history based on what you've read as like since for with leaving, for instance, would that influence you to like pull him from a fight? Yeah, absolutely. And, um, that's one of the things that was so impressive about the UFC. I was, I didn't really express these concerns to anybody, but in my head, when I first heard that the UFC was coming and that I was going to be the lead physician, I was somewhat expecting, I guess, sort of a conspiratorial conversation with somebody from the organization to say, hey, your job is to make sure that these fights all happen. So you're going to have to ignore X, Y, and Z. And oh, wow. Don't stop this. Don't stop that. And it was 100% exactly the opposite the the lengths that the UFC goes through to make sure that that sport is as safe as it can be and their fighters are as well taken care of as possible was unbelievable. And there wasn't even a whiff, even when I did my talk with the other physicians uh, after weigh-ins with a couple of the UFC representatives there and talked about why I would stop fights, things I would consider, who I would send to the hospital and whatnot, there wasn't even a, a slightest whiff of... Um, hints or anything like that from anybody from the organization that we should not stop a fight for something that we thought was necessary or things like that. They, they, it's, it's really amazing. Um, the, the extents of the apparatus they have in place and how professional the people who are responsible for the athlete health and safety was, I mean, with the best example being, um, um, Dr. Jeff Davidson, who's the medical director there, you know, he wasn't able to be added to that because, between working almost every event the UFC does and he travels almost every weekend. And now they've got the contender series and he's the medical director for that too. So every Tuesday he's busy in Las Vegas, he couldn't be here, but he was watching every single minute of the event on TV and talking to Dana White and other, uh, other officials from the UFC. He called me on a number of different uh, times throughout the event to say things like, for instance, during the um, uh, Kevin Holland fight, when the corner said, Oh, his shoulders out in the, the commentators were talking about that. He realized that they said that before any of us were in the cage because it was mm-hmm. right when the round ended. So as soon as I walked back out of the cage, my phone rang. And I don't normally check my phone during events, but I'd like, eh, who is it? And, Ooh, I better answer that. And it was him telling me that that was going on to make sure that we knew that they had that concern and told him, yep. And he said, and the 
you know, the guy who was looking at him was a orthopedic surgeon. And we both agreed that there's that his shoulder was definitely not, it didn't look like it was out of joint during the round. And it certainly wasn't out of joint when we saw him. So we were happy with that. But I mean, that really, it, I was, I cannot express how impressed I was with the medical staff that was there and the way they take care of folks. And it was, it was really amazing. And I'm, I'm surprised that the UFC doesn't do um, a lot more to publicize how far out of their way they go to take care of the fighters. I mean, it was really amazing. Well, that's really, I mean, that's yeah. great to hear. I don't know really how else to express that, but we get so much negative stuff and it's always what we, we uh, as fans and, and as uh, media guys, we, we always, uh, we always sit on all the negativity, uh, especially when we're shooting at the, the biggest organization in the world. seems like we always got something to complain about, but uh, that's actually extremely refreshing to hear that, that that's the case. And um, that's how it should be. And yeah, absolutely. And that's, and, uh, that's just great. And they, they, they commit a tremendous amount of money towards that as well, which is, you know, people always are complaining about the UFC and fighter pay, but I would, I, I would love to know how much money the UFC spent just this weekend on the medical care of their fighters with the, you know, the number of people that were there yeah, that's um, true. in the staff members, they have three people. The UFC has three uh, staff members whose only job it is, is to manage the fighters. They have the alphabet split up between the three of them. And they know the, the representatives who are there know everything imaginable about those fighters and are in constant communication during their weight cuts, making sure they don't need anything. One of them actually, she was heading to the ER or to the emergency room after the event to check on one of the fighters who we had sent for a CT scan and hadn't had the CT scan yet. And I wound up going with her. And while we were sitting there, it was very clear that she had a really good relationship with that fighter, even though it's not somebody who's in her part of the alphabet. Um, but, you know, being willing to do that. And she was constantly in communication with her boss and she was talking with Dr. Davidson and he was calling me to, you know, was the scan done? What did it show? What does she need? asking about the scans on the other people. And it was really, really amazing the amount of stuff that they go through to do. It was, just, it was great. And that is absolutely not the case with uh, a lot of other big organizations. Wow. Again, that's, that's really good to hear. And uh, I mean, not that the other organizations aren't up to par, but that the UFC is doing that um, again, we get the negativity about fighter pay and uh, just attitudes towards fighters, fighters contracts and yeah. getting cut and everything. But to hear that, that uh, that's actually nice to hear. I mean, it doesn't, as a fan, it doesn't, it makes me feel better when I, when I watch a fight where two people beat the living hell out of each other to know that they're, uh, they're actually getting the best medical care possible is uh is actually kind of a relief. And I, I mean, just from a selfish perspective, it, I don't, I don't feel so bad now when I guess <laughs> maybe when I see somebody get blasted, um, obviously the UFC keeps rolling event after event, after event, speaking of possible, uh, brain trauma, uh, we got, the, <laughs> we got the event taken away from us for uh, UFC 239, but it headlines this weekend's, uh, UFC Minneapolis card, junior dos Santos, Francis Ngannou, I can't think of a better heavyweight fight, really, uh, on paper. It's one that I wanted to see live, uh, so I'm a bit disappointed. But uh, the fact that it's now a five-round fight, although I don't think it's necessarily going to go that far, no. uh, <laughs> it, it, uh, it well, it, it pretty much guarantees at this point that we're likely to see a finish. We're not going to get some kind of Lewis uh, Ngannou situation where it's going to go to a decision after some, yeah. some boring. I think after five rounds, it will be decided, but... Uh, that's the big event this this weekend, and then and then obviously the following weekend, UFC 239 and, and the International Fight Week. Uh, I don't know if you have had time to think about who you, you pick it in that fight. I know most people are picking Ngannou. I think he's kind of the uh, flavor of the month right now. Not that he's not an extremely talented fighter, uh, but I've kind of been – I haven't always been on his, on his – uh, on his train, but uh, I'm kind of uh, on the new junior Dos Santos uh, wagon uh, over the last few fights. I know I said, I'd like to see him fight Cormier. I feel like that's a really interesting matchup and uh, I'm actually taking him to, to win this fight. Um, I feel like he's going to, he's just more the veteran and, and in Ganu, uh, I, I don't know if he's going to be, is coming off the fight with Kane where he, he won really quick uh, prior to that. He won really quick against, uh, a blades. Uh, I feel like if he gets any, anything past about two minutes, Dos Santos is going to be able to use his boxing and, and, and eventually land something 
if not against a Gast in Ganu, I, I, I just feel like he's going to end up uh, picking up the win via TKO uh, knockout. Uh, yeah, you guys so have any opinions? I, I'm, I'm going to be on the Francis train for this one. I think that, um, you know, his loss a couple fights ago, I think sort of rattled him a little bit, but he clearly had his confidence back when he fought Kane. And I think he's got the right team, and I think that he's got the right attitude now to be working on what he needs to be working on. So I think you're going to see his conditioning be where, be on point, and I think that his pacing is going to be a little bit better. He'll probably come out and try to finish it real quickly, and then if it looks like that's not going to happen, I think you'll see him settle in and, and do some boxing, and it'll be a really interesting fight. But I think Francis, uh, if I were betting, that's where I would put my money on this one. But, you know, like you said, Junior's got – fantastic boxing he's looked great recently so I'm, I'm really hoping this is going to be a good fight yeah i i mean i haven't really had a chance to to look at it and break it down but if, if i'm thinking about obviously Ngannou has the ability to stop it you know if he lands anything early um from what we've been seeing from him but um like uh like to matt's point uh the newer the Junior Dos Santos, as of late, I mean, he's he's always proven to be a durable guy. Um, but then again, I mean, Ningano uh, hits really hard, so I don't know. And then uh, I, I always have to, I always think about the damage taken over their career. How much is how much of that durability is left in them too? So um, it's it's a tough fight to to really call when you when you think about it. I'm going to uh, side with uh, the Doc, and I'm going to pick uh, Ngano. But um, I wouldn't be surprised if uh, Dos Santos pulls a, uh, you know, uh, a trick out of his hat and kind of like wears down Engano, you know, with his other skills like jujitsu and stuff. I don't, I don't, I don't think Engano's grappling is up to par from what I've seen. But we we haven't seen him fight long enough to say that. But we do know his gas tank has suffered. So if if uh, JDS has a, a plan to make him to make him work, you know, that he, he's got size and reach over him, big muscles need. A lot of air so you know uh it could go i could i see ways that he could win but i i still think a one shot could end it from Ngano. yeah you know if this were a straight boxing match i would expect to see uh junior come out and try to carry uh francis for a couple of rounds but with those itty bitty four ounce gloves that's a dangerous game to play so i'd be yeah. curious to see how he tries to tie him up you know probably keep his distance and kick a little bit and then try to close the distance and clinch and then back off but it, I'm 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 excited about this fight. I'm hoping it's going to be a good one. Yeah, and I mean it could be a huge one for Ngannou. Uh, not only is it likely to possibly get him another title shot, but I just saw the last couple of days uh, MMA was finally legalized in France, mm. uh, which uh, he's he's born in Cameroon, uh, but he he was raised in in, uh, in France. So this could not only not only for him, but potentially for the UFC if. Uh, if he ends up, you know, it, let's whether it's for a vacant title or against Cormier or, or Miosic, depending on how, how that fight goes and, and whether Cormier continues his career, that could potentially open up a gigantic event in Paris or something uh, yep. in the very near future to make a lot of money for, for a lot of people in the UFC. Yeah, it's when I saw that that was legalized, that's exactly what I was thinking. It's like, wow, UFC Paris with Francis headlining for the heavyweight title is going to be yeah. an absolute ATM machine for the uh, <laughs> UFC. Yeah, that's what I mean. That makes that makes all the sense in the world. You know, you've, if you've got him in France, you got Khabib uh, with a fight coming up now in Russia. I mean, um, for the global expansion that they're looking for, they got uh, uh, I can't how do you say her name? Uh, is it is it Wang or the 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 girl that's fighting uh, Andrade Draj, uh for the the, the strawweight title in China? Uh, I mean, there's there's potential to have quite the the world list of champions where they where they can continue to to travel the, the globe basically and have huge events. Um, you know, you obviously have McGregor and stuff like that. If they ever wanted to try to do a, a giant show in, in, uh, who's that guy? Ireland. Yeah, I know. It's, <laughs> it's, it's, it's sad. We've gotten to that point. You know, uh, not, not always. I haven't always been a big fan of his, but, uh, I do miss the big fight feel when he fights. So who knows where he's at in his career. But, um, anyways, uh, so that's this weekend. Uh, not, that's a regular ESPN card, Ed. So you can watch that one. You don't have to hold your, uh, your plus boycott. Um, so that's this Saturday. I believe the main card, it looks like starts at uh, six o'clock Eastern time. 
or actually this might be the, the actual card, not the main card, the first fight of the night, 6 p.m. Eastern, according to Tapology. Uh, John, thanks for coming on. It's good to hear good things about the UFC uh, and not always be a negative thing, but uh, appreciate your insight. And uh, I know I learned something uh, and I'm sure the rest of the listeners will as well. Great. Thanks for having me. It's always a pleasure. Do you want to throw out your uh, your Twitter handle or anything like that in case anybody wants to, to follow you? So, you know, I, my, my uh, social media is not usually really that active, but I'm SCMMAMD on Twitter and Instagram. And uh, most of my MMA related posting is on the MMA community where that's my uh, handle there as well as the SCMMAMD. That's the MMA community.com forum. Uh, I'm also a member that's as well as Ed. So uh, yep. one of the, one on the best forums online. I recommend yeah. anybody check that out too. Links will be on the bottom of the YouTube video for this. But um, yeah, man, good stuff. Thank you. Uh, fans can catch us at Combat Hour on Twitter. Myself at MMAHawk21 on Twitter and Instagram. You can follow Ed at Carbazal on Twitter and at Carbeerzal on Instagram. Uh, look forward to uh, the fights this week. Talking to you next week. I'll be uh, getting ready to start heading out to Vegas. Uh, but we do have, we'll be looking forward to, uh, what is it, the uh, the F the the LXF is that what it is? The the lights out uh, organization. Uh, Sean Merriman's got a, a fight organization. We look to have an interview with one of his upcoming fighters next week, as well as uh, possibly a preview for the big international fight week. So, till next week, everybody, uh, have a good one. Peace. Hey guys, Ed here. East Coast side of the Coast to Coast Combat Hour podcast. If you like what we're doing, make sure you subscribe on YouTube and anywhere you listen to podcasts. Also, if you'd like to help us out and donate, uh, the support links are in any of the uh, podcast descriptions, and in some, the links are also provided on our YouTube channel, The Blogboard Jungle. Um, thanks again for listening, and if you give us some support, we'll give you a shout on the podcast, maybe uh, bring you on for a UFC pay-per-view breakdown or two. Thanks again.